So a few weeks ago, I did an interview over at First First Methodist Church, Oklahoma City, where they have filed against the Oklahoma Annual Conference, and there's a legal battle going on there. Meanwhile, in Arkansas, starting in November of last year, Jonesboro First Church was disallowed from disaffiliating from the annual conference. They and Searcy and Cabot churches were um, just, the annual conference said, no, we're not going to let you go. Uh, under the leadership of Reverend John Miles, Jonesboro decided that they would go to battle. They hired legal counsel and uh, the conference, uh, and they have been in court already. The conference has tried to seize their assets uh, before state courts got involved in, and protected them. But then just a couple weeks ago, the uh, pronouncement was made by the judge that the Jonesboro First Methodist community uh, now needs to abandon the building. So... Today, I have Reverend John Miles on Zoom with me, and uh, his, his, uh, he's, he's got two weeks to get out of there. We're going to talk about the situation over there, what the developments have been, and what lessons there are to, to, to draw from this for United Methodist Churches seeking dis- disaffiliation in lots of annual conferences. So, John, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you feeling? You're welcome, Jeff. I feel okay. I feel, you know, you... It was devastating when the judge ruled as he did. Um, we were, you know, deeply grieved. But, you know, we've been making good plans, and um, we feel got confident about where God is getting, taking us, and our church is thriving. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not any fun to have to leave a building, but right. it's, I mean, we, we feel pretty good about it. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, I was looking at your church's stats before— I called you, and according to uh, the quick facts on umdata.org, at the end of 2021, you had 2,657 professing members, and then uh, do they have average attendance? Yes, they have an average attendance chart I can click on here. And uh, I wonder, has attendance gone up, stayed the same, or gone down since you guys entered your legal battle with the conference? Tenants has gone up. Of course, you, you we're recovering from COVID too, mm-hmm. um, but we're we're very close to where we were pre-COVID uh, in terms of numbers. Even with the stay people, you know, all most of the stay people have left and gone to you know form their own church. So, right. Yeah. Well. When when uh, First Church Oklahoma City filed against the con, that's been a long-term demoralizing thing as they've kind of kicked the can down the road and just had this prolonged process, and they've had. People just saying, "Hey, we're not we're not in it to fight." It seems to me like your congregation has a little bit more fight in them. Does that sound? I, I think that's I think that's very accurate. We're we're tired. I mean, and we're, and we're spending a lot of money. So I mean, I I'm I'm not saying we don't have some discouraged people, but you know, yeah, I, we certainly hadn't lost people. I mean, people have been coming and. And we've had great worship services, great energy. You know, the Holy Spirit is just all over this place. What is average worship attendance? Uh, the website's not giving it to me. Uh, you know, I think I, I think I'm not sure, but for 2021, probably around a thousand. Okay, we're probably we're probably. Uh, getting close to 1200 on a Sunday morning. And, and Jeff, we have this incredible recovery ministry. Um, we have two long-term recovery um, ministries associated with our church 
one called Breaking Bonds, one called In His Wings, and uh, they have a Tuesday night service. And I mean, they they have it. They have three, four hundred people on Tuesday night too. So it's just incredible. Yeah. And what grieves me, it's uh, you know, I'm about as grieved at the fact that our Tuesday night crowd, you know, they're they're we're finding a hard, finding it hard to find a good place for them too uh, to to worship on Tuesday nights. It just grieves me that. I mean, we we built this beautiful facility for contemporary worship, and you know, we're not going to be able to use it, especially on Tuesday nights for our recovery people. Well, so okay, the judge's pronouncement that y'all needed to vacate the building is that a permanent thing, or is there still? Uh, now we still have a trial in January, but he, you know, he pretty much signaled he doesn't believe us. You know, he he's doesn't he's not sold on what we're trying to do. He thinks when we had a meeting in October, uh, December, excuse me, that that we formed a new denomination, a new church, and that we're not still FUMC, and that's what we're arguing. We're we're arguing we're still First United Methodist Church, and we'll continue to argue that uh, until they allow us to depart. We're still First United Methodist Church, and so the judge says he's unconvinced, but we still got a January hearing. And yeah, there was a a vote you guys took in December, December twelfth of last year. Which had 641 people at least in attendance, where yeah. uh, you yeah. took a series of votes. First one is, do you want FUMC Jonesboro to remain within the UMC and the Arkansas Annual Conference? Please vote yes or no. And then, um, yeah, 629 of the 631 people present, well, no, 636, I think, would turn out. Um, voted that they they wanted to leave. So did the judge look at that and just go, "You guys voted to leave. Now you're out." Yeah, I think that's what he did. Yeah, he he, you know, I got to say he he seemed pretty determined not to hear us. Um, I mean, I don't think he's mean or anything. Mm-hmm. I just he I think he had his mind made up a long time ago. And so we're just you know we'll we'll work through it. And there's still a lot of appeals. I mean, it's. Uh, we we don't want to spend a ton more money on this, but, you know, we'll spend some money and we'll appeal it and we'll see where it goes. So I, I'm not a legal minded person, but uh, what I've understood to be the case is there are states that generally defer to whatever the ecclesi- ecclesiastical authority is, the denominational head body. They'll just say, hey, whatever you guys do, we're not going to get in your way. And then there are others like Texas that will defer more to the local church and what they want to do. Um, we're, we're about to figure out where Oklahoma leans on that. Where does Arkansas lean on that continuum? Do you know? Well, it's I mixed. I think we've got a um, we, we, there's some there's some case law on our side that we will pursue. Um, and so. We're kind of a test case, aren't we? Yeah, we'll yeah. See. And so Searcy and Cabot also got turned down, and my understanding was that one of those is also going to court with the same lawyer, and then the other yeah. one just abandoned the building on the front end. What Was it Searcy that also went uh, to court with uh, Dan Dalton as their lawyer? Yes, and they have settled. So they're they get to keep their building. They've made a payment, and they're uh, they're out of the United Methodist Church. So they just had to pay more than they would have under twenty five fifty three. I'm not sure they paid a lot more. I I don't know. I haven't I haven't really talked about it, but I I think it was a fairly reasonable settlement, Jeff. So did the conference offer you a similar? Uh, oh, no. No, uh-huh. that you know what the difference between us and them is our uh, our group our, the thirty percent that wants to remain in the United Methodist Church are adamant and and they are um, 
they're kind of driving this process. You're talking about so, within your within your uh, yeah, FUMC I, yeah, Jonesboro. I did not want to disaffiliate our. You know, they're pretty adamant about remaining in the building and um, keeping it United Methodist. So that's so odd yeah. to me because. I mean, they're going to be a shadow of their former selves. It's surely going to be very demoralizing. Maybe they'll feel victorious for a few weeks, but then they're going to look around for months and months and years and just see just a fraction of their former glory. Um, do you think that they have reason to be optimistic that they can fill it back up? You know, I don't. Uh, you, you and I both know that we're in a recession in terms of Christianity in the United States, mm-hmm. um, and certainly more liberal Christianity especially. Mm-hmm. So, no, I— I don't feel very hopeful that, I mean, most of the folks that voted to disaffiliate last November and then voted in December to continue the disaffiliation process, most of them are going to go with us. So I don't know. I mean, I, hey, you, you know how preaching is, you know how ministry is, you could be wrong, but I don't, yeah, I, I don't see how they afford this building. I also don't see how they use it. You know, they just can't use it. Sad. Do really. you, do you, you know probably a lot of the personalities in the Stay UMC crew. Mm-hmm. Does it seem to you that they just got locked in on this battle that they had to win and they're just not even thinking long-term? Or does it seem to you that they imagine that they actually have the muscle and resources to kick you and the majority of the church out and that, that they really do seriously think that they can um, have long-term success there? I think it's a little both. Okay. I mean, I, I, I think they're you know, they're, they're misguided. And I think they think that they can get people back and, um, that the people will go with them Mm -hmm. and, you know, we don't know, but it doesn't look to me. And we have examples of other churches in this area, you know, where, where the, where the folks lost by a little bit, or, I mean, these churches have been decimated. So I, I don't see, I don't see their cause for optimism, but again, you know, time will tell. Well, something that I, Getting kicked out is it'll we'll see pretty quick, you know. I mean, right, yeah. We were going to wait, for it, but now we'll see. Cause, yeah, because they try to fill this church up and and pay for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I I uh, it's expensive to run a facility like this. So as you leave the building, are you also having to leave all of your assets, bank accounts, investments behind? Absolutely. Yep. Every uh, single thing. That's rough. Yeah. So something. Of, everything. Something that exists in Arkansas, or a, a thing about the situation there that was not the case in Oklahoma, is it's my understanding that uh, conference staff were actively involved in equipping stay UMC groups in local churches. Is that something that you're familiar yeah. with? Well, I, I, you know, I, I want to be careful because I don't know. There, there was a very strong uh, stay UMC group in, in Arkansas that, mm-hmm. that cooperated with our local stay UMC people to thwart our disaffiliation, even though we'd had 1,356 people vote and almost a 70% majority to leave, that they undermined uh, the process. Yeah, it appears to, it appeared to us that they got email addresses for nearly everybody, all the delegates in the conference, uh, and sent it out to nearly all the delegates. We were shocked at that because we, we don't know any way we could have gotten all those, especially lay delegates. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it does appear that there were there's certainly collusion between um, liberal clergy and uh, and our local state people, but I think also between conference office. Yes, that's uh, yeah. Oklahoma didn't have that. There's definitely still been some 
maneuvering and manipulation behind the scenes and stacking the deck in their favor, but nothing on the level of... I, I was shown some correspondences from uh, conference staff in Arkansas that were uh, uh, collaborating with state UMC folks and, and providing yeah, them with resources. You've seen some things I hadn't seen. That's yeah, yeah. There been there's some folks. Well, you saw I interviewed Jason Sutfin, and then I uh, yeah. I had some other people that were keeping me in the loop with their disaffiliation processes. And it, just really frustrating. A lot of churches were getting slow walked through the process. Couldn't oh, yeah. get responses from their DS. Um, uh, would yes. be uh, delayed for no reason or for for silly reasons. It's just really demoralizing for all churches, but. As you said, it was July 31st of 2022 when your church voted with over 1,300 people voting uh, to leave. And one of the um, underhanded—I don't know if you saw the original coverage I did. It was when Bishop Mueller presided over that special called conference in November. I thought the way that he handled himself was very unprofessional, and the things that he allowed to be said on the floor of the conference— were um, just inexcusable, one of which was a lady who got up and made uh, unspecific allegations about your church baptizing and bringing into membership a bunch of your um, people that were involved in your recovery ministry, supposedly uh, a large enough number to sway the vote. Um, That was murder. That was so brutal. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, we had... we we have uh, we can document fourteen people who were baptized that year who voted in that election uh, fourteen and and they said you know it swung the vote but they would have needed fifty sixty votes to swing it their way and and by the way to swing it their way would just be we had sixty five they had thirty five right mm-hmm. I mean it's mm-hmm. not like they were getting anywhere near fifty percent they won yeah you carried a supermajority. Um, yeah. of, of, well, you, I mean, uh, surely you're not the only one who was adamant in your, uh, congregation that, that the denomination just wasn't a good fit anymore. Would, how strong is your lay leadership to leave there? No, they're, they're strong. They're strong. Now that that's our, our administrative board was almost unanimous in the desire to depart. Um, and, uh, all of our leadership is, is most of our leadership is strong too. Our, our, you know, our, our strongest lay people are, I mean, I've got some great people on the other side. I mean, people I really like, Jeff, but mm-hmm. the, the, the strong core of our church, it's, you know, it was 70-30, but it's more than that. It's more than 70-30 in terms of my leaders who want to leave. It's more like 80-20. Sure. Yeah. Well, there's, it's one of those things, you know, I, I've seen it all over the denomination. There are people who've worked collaboratively alongside one another, liked and respected one another, that now that this moment is here, it's like none of that counts for anything, and there's just great anger and animosity that comes out. Um, you find yeah. that in conference staff, you find that in local church leadership, um, and there's, you know, I don't know what there is to be said about that other than uh, we're seeing where people's true loyalties lie. So um, one of the questions I've carried is, as I've been reporting on this throughout the United States at least is how much of this current anxiety, anger, resentment is the byproduct of the left-right divide, and then how much of it is just a self-interested institutionalist mentality that couldn't care less about theology and only cares about self-preservation. As you think through that, as you're navigating these, these principalities and powers, what does it seem like it's, it is to you? Does it seem like this is just ascendant leftism and what it does, or does it feel to you like it's just institutionalism and what it does, or is it both and there's no need to, to figure that out? 
I think in my case, uh, in terms of my local church, our local church, mm-hmm. it was it was a little of both. You had the the people who were very very progressive in terms of uh, justice for LGBTQ people, and they turned out to vote. And then the you know the people that really like the United Methodist Church mm-hmm. and and like what it stands for, and they're more progressive by and large. But that I think they just didn't like the idea of us leaving. They, they're loyal to the United Methodist Church, and so uh, the, those two those two groups came together in our church to uh, to get that thirty percent to uh, to vote against disaffiliation. What do you think? It- what do you think it is that stay UMC folks feel so strongly about holding on to about the UMC? It's uh, my personal feeling. There isn't much in the United Methodist Church that I personally find very appealing. Since I've left, I've really enjoyed not getting all the emails I used to get. And, uh, you know, I, I don't I never liked being tied to these bodies that would get together and make pronouncements from their high horses on on all the, the social issues of the day. Do you think for them it was just riding the brand, the cross and flame, and just there is no need? Or do you think that there is something culturally about the UMC that a lot of people are still committed to and married to? I I think, again, I think it's a little both, but I, I don't want to discount the idea that people, you know, they just like being a part of the UMC. Now I'm at this church. They've identified with it for years, mm-hmm. and they um, they feel a kinship with it, and and they just don't like the idea of leaving. Leaving, uh, so I, I think, I think it's both. I mean, yeah. there's no doubt this is a cultural battle, right? Mm-hmm. This is right, left, and there's no doubt about it. But it's also um, institutional versus, um, and 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 you and I are clergy. We see the problems to the institution, but I mean, a lot of lay people don't. I mean, mm-hmm. they're they're just. It's just a nice. Um, um, I mean, they're comfortable in the UMC. Yeah, it was all going fine until these rebellious ne'er-do-wells like me and you just got involved and tried to steal these churches for ourselves, right? Right, that's right. Yeah, they've worked really hard, um, the conference and the lawyers and the state people, to say this is John Miles' church, Mm -hmm. John Miles is leading a charge, and I mean, of course, that completely missed out. I mean, I've got his, you know, I've got all the doctors and lawyers and business executives as well as working people. I mean, you don't push these people around. They they made that decision themselves. Well, the lawyers right. and go ahead. They try to make it into a localized thing when you know there's over six thousand churches that disaffiliate the United States. Right. Yeah. No. There's clearly that they're gonna gaslight the. If it's between gaslighting six to seven thousand churches that are going to make it out, and acknowledging that there's problems and there has been for a long time, they're going to gaslight till the cows come home so that they don't have to deal with. Been doing that for my whole ministry. I've I've been gaslighted all along. <laughs> In fact, you know it's a pretty cool word, gaslighting. I I didn't know what it was till about five or six years ago, and I go, that's perfect for the United Methodist Church. They just they tell us everything's fine when we know darn well it's not fine. Right? Yeah, yeah. Don't believe your lying eyes, John. Yeah. It's- I part of the reason I wanted to do this interview is because I know there are a lot of churches around the connection that are thinking of, well, okay, worst case scenario, if we go to court, what. Uh, What's what's the what's the arithmetic that we should be doing? So, um, John, if there are people watching this whose churches are figuring out their their posture towards their annual conference, and one of the things on the table is litigation, what do you think would be helpful for them to to hear from you as one who's kind of got a raw deal here? 
I don't know. I, I don't know. I've got a lot to say to people. It's it's a hard slog. It is no fun going to court. It it you know, I get my Cabot walked away, and and you, you know our our uh, largest church in Arkansas we're second, and Fayetteville Central walked away too. They just they said they threw up their hands, and the folks that wanted to disaffiliate have started another church. So um, it. it I don't, I don't know, Jeff. It, it, this is legal. The legal battles are expensive. They're arduous, and they're, um, they're fraught with possible uh, um, landmines. I, I would look at your deeds. A lot of deeds, a lot of our deeds actually don't have the trust clause in them, uh-huh. and so we have a bunch of deeds. And so one of the reasons we think we have a chance in appellate court and even in this Arkansas Supreme Court is because a lot of these deeds don't have our churches, you know, the nominational name in them. Right. And so we're hoping, we're hoping that down the line that'll that'll come that'll come bear us out. But I'd look at your I'd look at your deeds and see if if the trust clause is explicit in them. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's explicit in all your deeds, I would go slow about you know, I, you might want to just think about walking away. Yeah, rather than to fight it. And you don't have to respond, but I wonder if at this point, now looking at things the way they are, do you wish you had just walked away from the building to begin with? No, no, okay. I don't. I think that would have blown my people's mind. We, I mean, we, it doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we got twelve hundred; they got one hundred fifty. Mm-hmm. We've got. You know, we've got 80% of the money. They got 20% of the money. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't make any sense for us to walk away. I don't regret, I don't regret what we've done and I still think we could win, but I, it's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. You know, it's not Well, as I understand fun. the, the potential legal route to go, there are two main strategies I'm aware of. Dan Dalton of Dalton and Tomich has tried to make this his bread and butter in many different states. He said, I'm, I'm your attack dog. I'm going to fight for your church, and I'm going to win. And he does YouTube videos where he talks about the legal ninjutsu sure. he knows how to do. And then there's the NCLL, Jonathan Bailey being the, the main lawyer that I know about, but there's also uh, Gibbs is the, the head lawyer. And they get groups of churches together in different annual conferences to do um, I don't. I don't know if they fit the definition of a class action suit, or if they do something different, or if their strategies have shifted. I haven't noticed either party being very successful. What I've noticed Dan Dalton doing is uh, mostly just holding churches' hands as they walk through the twenty-five fifty-three process, uh, and he charges quite handsomely. But some churches feel really good about paying that; others don't feel sure. so great. Um, Perhaps there are other legal avenues that have been less explored. Um, do you think for churches that are looking at this option of NCLL, Dan Dalton, other legal options, is there any way of navigating through those options that you think is helpful to? Well, if you don't have deep pockets, I I would go with NCLL. I mean, I mean, because anytime you hire somebody like Dan Dalton, it's mm-hmm. really expensive. Um, and and so you know, if you're a large downtown church, plenty of money. I wouldn't say we have plenty of money, but uh, sure. you know, more money, that Dalton might be the way to go. I, I think it'd be a safe bet that your church has more money than rural Oklahoma, no water, what I'm dealing with. So our, our annual yeah. budget's $112,000. I'm sure you have a little bit more than that. But even so, I mean, it's a heavy thing to spend all that money 
on uh, legal fees. So, you know, NCLL is a yearly membership of $1,000, and then you pay some court fees on top of that, but my understanding is it's it's not really comparable at all to what... I'm not comparable at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know a lot of people want to know how to pray for you and your church, John, and um, I, I think the prayer I'm inclined to say, but I want to welcome your input, is um, you know just prayers that, that you and they will remain strong, that God will land you in a, a, a plentiful, peaceful place, and that you will um, just enjoy, even if you've lost the building, even if you've lost your assets, that you're just going to be really glad to be outside of the UMC and no longer fearful. Um, are there any other particular things that you think would be good for people to just be praying for and petitioning the Lord on your behalf about? Well, I, I would I would like you to lift up our recovery ministries. Um, they're remarkable. You know, we we have uh, we probably have a hundred people in recovery at our you know regular services on Sunday morning, and then two or three hundred uh, recovery people and their families on Tuesday nights. You know, I, we we don't want to hurt that recovery ministry and they love coming to our church. It's beautiful. It's welcoming. We've been wonderful. We've loved our recovery people and they've blessed us. They come with passion and joy in Christ. And so please be in prayer that we can maintain our relationship with our recovery ministry and it won't falter because of all this. The other thing, you know, my wife looked at me the day after we learned we had to leave and, and she said, John, this is an opportunity for testimony, right? It's an opportunity to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And uh, and I think my church is handling it like that. I think we are going forward with, hey, we're, we're not going to be angry. We're not going to be mad. We're not going to be frightened any more than what, what would be ordinary. No, we want to be a good witness. So pray that we can continue to be gracious and uh, persistent and, uh, and just faithful. That's, I think that's that's all prayers that we can happily say for you. And I, I think I do want to pray for you and your church at the tail end of this conversation. I did want to make sure that I understand the big picture in Arkansas, and it's okay if you've had to just focus on your context and don't have much. But as I understand it, at the close of 2021, there were 599 churches in Arkansas. Since then, 102 have allowed, been allowed to disaffiliate. So that's a, a loss of just 17% of local churches. Are you aware of, of any other churches coming down the pipeline that might get a chance to disaffiliate later this year? Yeah, there's there's more churches coming. None of them, though, all, most of our big churches that were getting disaffiliated have disaffiliated. These are mostly smaller churches, but yeah, there's quite a few left that are coming. We've also got, you know, like Fayetteville Central, um, and there's several other communities where they were at 65 percent and so you've got new churches forming and so it's um i mean so to say yeah okay uh, first methodist um uh, there'll be a remnant here at our church but it won't be the same church you know yeah um yeah i see that special conference scheduled for october 15th of this year i think so um that's right is there any way to know or guess at how many churches are, are going to come before the conference? Yes, I think it's 30 or 40 more. Okay. okay. Not, none, of, none of them more than 100 in worship, but, you know, still a lot of, lot of churches that are leaving. Well, as I've talked to several clergy there, it seemed pretty a solid guess that of the people in the pews, 70 to 80 percent are conservative in Arkansas. Does that sound like a realistic 
I think that's more than realistic. I think so. So what what we're looking at is really something quite impressive. I mean, and and tragic where in the end the conference isn't even going to lose a quarter of its churches, but more than three quarters of their churches are vast majority conservative and will not be happy in the United Methodist Church. So does it seem as clear to you as it does to me that they're going to be looking at uh, several more years of prolonged misery as they try to keep people under their uh, governing that don't want to be there? Again, you know, I, I hate to speculate, yeah. but I, that's reasonable to assume. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not enough... Um, they're not enough now conservative pastors to fill all the conservative churches that want a conservative pastor. So, mm-hmm. yeah, these conservative pastors are going to get more progressive. Uh, I mean, it's conservative churches are going to get more progressive pastors. I don't think that's healthy. Yeah, well, anybody. and surely that was already going on. But, it, I mean, it that's was. been going on around the denomination. But now it's just going to accelerate. It will. It certainly will. So, Bishop Mueller was the one who set the tone for all of this last year, but a new bishop has stepped in, Bishop Laura Merrill, and she seems perfectly nice on camera. Is there anything to be said about how she's used um, Episcopal authority in this process for the good or ill of the... I think she's a great job. I mean, I think she's... I mean, nobody got denied last time. Mm-hmm. Now, I think part of that, and she, the, the conference kind of brought out the fact that they were in heavy litigation with two churches, Cersei and us, mm-hmm. and that the idea of taking on three or four more was just inconceivable. So I think, I think our case helped other churches depart, but I sincerely think she wants to allow churches to leave that can get the 66.7%. So I, I've, I've been, I, I haven't talked to Merrill and I haven't really listened to much of what she had to say, but from everything I hear, she's doing a good job. I'm, I'm glad I asked that question in particular, because I do think we have to find good things to say about people on the other side. And um, when, when other people seem to act with integrity, even if they see things different, you know, it really does make a difference at our annual conference, our special called conference in, in Oklahoma in April. We had a concerted effort to, to vote on individual churches, especially the big rich ones, uh, and not let them go, and it was a it was a big effort on our part to say no. We'll we'll put them all together, um, and when conference leadership is trying to isolate churches the way it did you guys and Cabot and Searcy, that really poisons the whole dynamic. It really is better just to have a shared slate, as uh, Bishop Merrill allowed to happen this last time. I hope she does it again in in October. But it's um you know from conference to conference things get really nasty. Some there are some conferences that everything is great, they get along just fine. And then there are other conferences like Arkansas, which, I mean, everybody I've talked to over there just seems miserable and upset about how things have gone. And uh, I've, I've asked myself several times, what's the end game for the Stay UMC crowd in Arkansas? I just can't imagine. It, it's almost, it seems to me like they're just bent on continual warfare. They don't know who they are if they're not hating conservatives in their midst. Um, I don't know if they know who they are if they just become a liberal church and all they've got to look at is each other, you know? So I guess we're about to find out. Well, we're not going to find out. They're holding on to all these conservatives. I don't see how there's not just perpetual ideological tension in Arkansas for another decade out. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I think uh, I think it's it's a rather toxic environment. I, I'll tell you, uh, 
I, I never want to go back to November 19th. I don't want to think about it. I don't, don't want to remember it. It was vicious. It was mean-spirited. Um, I had friends get up and say things about pastors. You know, they read these anonymous letters you referenced. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was... I was, I was more, I was horrified. I really was. I was just, I, cause I like my, I, I've always liked my conference. Again, this is none of this is personal. I mean, I've been treated like a King in the United Methodist church. I've, I've done great in the United Methodist church. I'm not, I don't dislike anybody. It's just, it, you know, you guys won, we lost, you know, I mean, the, the liberals are ascendant and, and okay, that's fine. Just let us conservatives go. Mm-hmm. But, but they in Arkansas didn't want to do that. And so they they don't like us, but they, they keep us in. That's a weird dynamic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had something weird. more insightful to say about that. Uh, just humans are, uh, once they get used to a certain level of dysfunction, convincing them that they can or should do better, I mean, that's just something we need the Holy Spirit for. And we talk about the Spirit a lot, but I, I don't know. I got pretty clear that the Holy Spirit is not smiling at the United Methodist Church. So no, I, I can't imagine. I can't imagine using the trust clause like this. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Well, we, I'm sure you and I could commiserate more, and maybe we will <laughs> sometime in the future. But my main maybe. goal here was just to. Um, I, I've uh, several viewers that I just know are very interested in and in knowing the kind of personalities at play and the dynamics at play in these. And I just think it's important that people see each other's hearts whenever there's litigation, because oftentimes you just see what's in the articles and you get the quotes from the lawyers and you don't see sure. um, the pastor's heart. So I'm, I appreciate you being uh, vulnerable publicly in this way and and willing to, you know, I, I hope that, that the conjecture we've engaged in has been responsible and, and not mean-hearted, but just trying to understand how it is that we got here. This is going to be something that people are puzzling over for a long time. So just know that sure. the way people like me see you uh, you were a person who was willing to take a risk for standing on uh, principle and integrity. Uh, for you, right. the the property and the money was not the the main thing. The main thing was standing by what you believe and standing by your community's values. And um, that's right. In my in my conference, there were liberals that were kind of scoffing at these conservative churches that left, and now their youth can't get these scholarships that are available in the UMC. And um, and I publicly commented saying, you know, this is this is a sign of integrity that people are willing to forego financial well-being in order to get away from an institution that's poisoning them. And I think we need yeah, those a- examples. And I'm just really glad for you and your church serving as this public example. And I think that helps a lot of people. I hope this helps a lot of people get clear about who they're dealing with. Um, that that uh, Well, what do you think? Do you think that Arkansas— annual conference leadership is exceptionally uh, unfair and biased against conservative churches, or do you think that they really, that there is a culture in all the annual conferences that is willing to go this route and disenfranchise local churches if they misbehave? Well, I've been surprised at how many churches have gotten out without, I mean, once Arkansas did this, Mm. I thought a lot of, a lot of conferences would do this and they haven't. I mean, I think we're the only conference that three churches who had been approved for disaffiliation and had the votes were denied. Yeah. And so I'm I'm grateful for the other conferences that that handled this with dignity and integrity and didn't try to, you know, didn't try to smash or destroy the, their opponents. 
I mean, I th- I, I've been actually surprised, Jeff, at how well it's gone in the rest of the country. Yeah, maybe now the reality of what happened was Arkansas behaved badly. Well, and they knew it. They, they, they made it a private video so that nobody could see what happened. And right. because of the big backlash against what happened to you guys, a lot of uh, annual conferences have been reticent to employ that same technique. Um, and if that's I'm how gra- this ends, that's wonderful. The nightmare that I and many have is that as the proportions change in lots of annual conferences, that these final special called conferences in October, November, December coming up this year, they are going to replicate what happened in Arkansas and, and on a very ugly note in a lot of places. So I, That's possible, but they hadn't done it yet. Right. And so, you know, maybe, maybe people will – again, one of the things you learn – is if you keep a church that's got 70-30 or 65-35 even, mm-hmm. I mean, what you've got is a husk. Mm-hmm. And and if they've got debt, I mean, you know, all we need is a couple of these churches to default on their debt. And that, man, that messes the whole conference up. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, they, they'll, right, three or four years ago, loaning money to a United Methodist Church was a sure deal. You get right. a good interest rate. Mm-hmm. Now, people aren't as confident. Right. I'm also interested to see how people's church insurance, uh, you know, with all this fussing, church insurance is going to skyrocket. Right. Um, and we we're seeing that we were having a hard time getting insurance. So yeah. that'll be something that our stay friends will have to try to do because and they're going to pay a lot more for it. Yeah, that was already, already an issue even before all this disaffiliation. Skyrocketing insurance costs is just a huge issue yeah. generally in our it's society. Huge- yeah. And now directors and officers insurance, it's all going to be the the, the uh, law of unintended consequences really has kicked in. And, and it's unfortunate, but that's how it happens. That's a good term for people to know right there. The law of unintended consequences. Uh, yeah. Anyone who was thinking that this would be a simple deal, you end the disaffiliation efforts. The, the 2553 sunsets at the end of this year and then everybody's happy. Uh, that's that's yeah. not going to happen. There's there's hard times coming for those who haven't made it out. I agree. I agree. Difficult times. Well, I don't want to end on a negative note. So I want to I want to pray for you and your church. I want to invite anybody who's watching to to pray with us as well. And then um, I just want to stay in contact with you, John, to know how it is that we can support you over time. So um, yeah, let's pray. Uh, Father, I thank you for John and, and his full, bold and faithful ministry and leadership. I just, I'm so sad that it's come to this point where he's packing up his office and, and he's saying goodbye to familiar surroundings that he's been in for years. I, I mourn with his church, especially his recovery ministry, uh, the church's recovery ministry that's just full of so many wonderful and dedicated people. And I pray, Father, that that nothing would be lost as they have to change locations and start from ground zero with all of their assets. I pray that that they would be rewarded for their willingness. Uh, they counted the co- cost, and now they're paying it. And um, I, I know that it, it brings you joy, Father, when people are willing to suffer for your name's sake. And so uh, may this be a time that they look back on and they can see what was lost, but they also see that much is gained. Um, I, I pray that you would give them a sense of liberty and gratitude as they um, uh, depart from what has become a very toxic institution that uh, he and I are both very grateful for many of the blessings that came from the United Methodist Church, but also just got very clear that 
that it wasn't going to be a good home for us anymore. And uh, we just lift up to you the, the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who've come to the similar conclusions and don't know if they're going to get out, uh, whether they have unfriendly pastors that just won't have the conversation or unfriendly bishops and staff that will do everything it takes to, to stymie these efforts. Father, there are so many uh, discouraging and disheartening things that we're seeing right now, but we know that you're bigger than all of them, and we know that the church is not a, a building. <laughs> the church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is the people. So we ask, Father, that as people are willing to leave comfort and wealth, that you would restore in them a sense of uh, the, the, the power and the, the form and the power of righteousness, and that Methodists would once again be a people known uh, for the form and power of righteousness, that this would be a restoring thing that brings people uh, to Christ Jesus through the people called Methodists once again. So, Father, look upon your church, uh, purify your church, help John and me and all other clergy who um, believe in biblical faithfulness and fidelity to stand firmly at your side no matter what the cost. Help us to stand together, Father. May we uh, have a shared sense of connectional ministry in the future as we reclaim that which has been lost and um, see fit to send your Holy Spirit powerfully upon us, Father, that we might bring honor and glory to your name. We ask these things in Amen. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Friends, I'm so glad that you joined us for this. If you, uh, you want to support John, of course, uh, pray for him and his church. John, is there any uh, website you direct them to, any, any resource you would encourage them to look at, uh, or is it just prayers at this point? Prayers, prayers would be good. Okay. Well, we'll be in prayer for you, John. Thanks, everybody, for uh, supporting the Plain Spoken channel. I, I always appreciate uh, all the engagement that I get. I really do feel like we're doing a good thing here, even if it's, there's a lot to be sad about. So God bless you. Keep praying for the, the people called Methodist. I'll see you next time.